A homily for the third Sunday after Easter. The Good Shepherd gives his life for his sheep. My dear friends in Christ, in previous occasions I have spoken to you of the bishop as our shepherd, of the priest as the shepherd, but now it seems only fitting that I speak of the father of the house as a shepherd. For all these authorities are but a gradation of Christ's authority itself. And each one of these authorities is subject, or should be subject, to, to the other. The father of the house ought to be subject to the priest. The priest is subject to the bishop. The bishop is subject to the pope, and the pope is subject to Christ. This subjection of one authority to the other is absolutely essential to prevent abuses, injustice, crisis. Whenever one misses in his proper respect and deference, to the instructions and corrections of the one above him, immediately great danger arises for himself and for his subjects. It is fundamental then that every person in authority recognizes a superior, a moderator, a corrector. It falls to the priest the difficult task of instructing, of teaching, of correcting the father of the family. And it is absolutely necessary that a good Christian father pays heed to the admonitions of the priest, if the family is to live happily and in peace. I did say that this was a difficult task to the priest. It is difficult, it can be. But it is his duty. And if he doesn't fulfill his duty, if he is silent through cowardice regarding the things that he ought to correct or that he has to instruct, he becomes himself a mercenary, a false shepherd, and he risks, risks go to hell. Today then, my dear friends, to fulfill this duty, we will speak of the Father as the shepherd of the house. The good Father ought to have the same qualities that our Lord had. Our Lord was a good shepherd. The first quality that we will mention is the first one that our Lord mentions in the in the gospel, goodness precisely. How is goodness realized in the good father? First, the husband must be a person of a clean mind. What do I mean by that? It means that he must be pure, that he must have a delicate conscience. Husband, you are in charge of precluding immorality from your house. You are the one that will dictate the modesty of your daughters. You are the one that must inspire your wife to a holy life. Your mind must be cleaner than that of your wife. It must be cleaner than that of your children. Otherwise, how could you be called good? The conscience and purity of the father must be even more delicate and chaste than that of the wife and the children. It is your conscience that should be first offended when a bad scene shows up on TV. It is your conscience that should first be offended when indecent women are about you and your family. But how often it happens, on the contrary, that it is the man's man that is calloused, and the wife has to struggle to open his eyes, the, the eyes of the husband, to the evil that he permits or that he himself allows in his household sometimes. There is another quality that the husband must have, 
and it is that he must have a far greater control of his passions than the wife and the children. The father of the family is the judge. He is the teacher in the house. He is the guide. But how will he judge in his house if his opinions, his sentences, are biased by his lowliest passions? How can he be a teacher and a guide if he is blind himself? Father, if you become blinded by anger, by envy, by sadness, by sarcasm, by uncharitable thoughts, you are unable to lead your family and you are unable to be a good father and a good husband. It cannot be so. Now, my friends, regarding this self-control that the man ought to exercise to, with himself, the world has fed us a lie that the man has for some reason the title to be worse than the wife, that the man is supposed to be weaker in his self-control, that the man is supposed to be given to sin, that he can be lazy, irascible, impure, and that that's perfectly normal. This, my dear friends, is a monstrous idea. The reality is quite the contrary. If we are to restore society, and if we are to protect and uphold our families, we ought to rebel against this teaching and once and for all stop the world from destroying the most necessary element of the family, the fatherhood. And we ought to be, as I said, better than the wife, stronger than our wife and our children, not given to sin, but rather fighting sin to the death. There is a third quality that the husband must have, and this is that he must be selfless. That is, he must have all his care bent on the needs of his wife and his children. My dear friends, what do we call those in authority? We call them, what do we call the governors? the mayors, the presidents, we call them public servants. We call them so because they have been given a position of authority over us and the power to rule, the power to make decisions and to punish, not for any other purpose, but to serve those below them. Public servants. This, my dear friend, is what the good father is. The good father is not there to be served, but to serve. It is true that your wife should serve you, and it is true that your children should serve you. But that is not for your comfort. That is not so you lay down. It is, it is so that you practice virtue. The submission that is required of your wife and your children is only so that there is order in your house, so that there is unity of mind, unity of will and of action under your command, but that submission that they are bound to give you is in order to facilitate your guiding them, your protecting them, your caring for their needs. It is in order to establish order. And here, my dear friends, in how the husband is supposed to be selfless, he's supposed to care for the needs of his family, not so much for his own. We come to that difference that our Lord makes between the mercenary and the true shepherd. What is the difference? The mercenary cares for his own interest, not for that of his sheep. When it comes to men who are the head of the house, you will either be a father, a shepherd, or a mercenary. 
When you're a father, it means that no other it means no other thing but that you renounce your life, you renounce your comfort, you renounce your pleasure, you renounce your whims. These are the words of Christ. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. For how long, O oh fathers, will you remain a perpetual adolescent? When will we realize that it is no longer time for our pleasure? It is no longer time for our rest. It is no longer time for our leisure. That time is come and gone. Now, as a father of the family, as a father in general, my whole life must circle around providing for my wife and my children, providing not only economically, but also, and most importantly, emotionally and spiritually. I say that you need to provide emotionally. The father must watch in his house, not only that there is money, not only that there is food and clothing, he must also see that there is the right mindset, the right ambience. He must strive to keep the manner of speaking and acting around the house always positive, always encouraging, always virtuous. How often does it happen that the father comes to the house and he finds situations that are frustrating and he allows himself and the wife to create an environment of sarcasm, of negativity, of lack of respect, of yelling, of name-calling, and they fail to control themselves, and they fail to control and improve the spirit in their house. But no, fathers, you are the shepherds. It falls to you to make sure that your children are positive. It falls to you that in your house you breathe a loving environment, a respectful ambience. It falls to you to make sure that between you and your wife there is always respect in the manner of speaking, in the manner of acting. It falls to you that between you and your wife there is always love, cooperation, never sarcasm, never name-calling, never a lack of respect. Husband, when you look at your home and the spirit in your home, what you breathe, what you see, how you feel at your home, you should think of yourself as a captain that is in a ship and as a captain that has to keep a ship afloat. And as soon as the captain sees that the ship is sinking, he will not rest until every hole has been closed, every gap has been shut and the ship is floating again. In that same way, you, father, when the spirits are falling and failing in your house, it falls to you to repair them. And you should not rest until the hearts of everyone in the home are raised again to peace, to virtue, to respect, to love, and to kindness. As I say all these things, my dear friends, we might be thinking, this is extraordinary. This is difficult. This is not realistic. This never happens. Well, my friends, for your emulation, allow me to give you a quote, not from a saint, I'm going to give you a quote not even from a Catholic. Here in the words of this man, the same standard that I'm giving you, what a good father is supposed to be like. And I tell you, if a man that doesn't have the faith is able to be like this, how should we be that has, have the faith?
The words that I'm giving you here are the, president, the words of President Roosevelt that he said about his father. I quote, He combined strength and courage with gentleness, tenderness, and great unselfishness. He would not tolerate in us children selfishness or cruelty, idleness, cowardice, or untruthfulness. As we grew older, he made us understand that the same standard of clean living was demanded for the boys as for the girls, that what was wrong in a woman could not be right in a man. With great love and patience and the most understanding sympathy and consideration, he combined two things, insistence and discipline. These are again, my friends, the words basically of a pagan, of a, of a man without the faith. And if others are able to be like that, even without the faith, how should we be? My dear fathers, to speak of all the duties that we have would require a book more than a sermon. But I don't want to leave you today without mentioning a few more things. I'll mention, lastly, courtesy and chivalry. What this means, my dear friends, is that you as a father, you ought to conduct yourself with honor and dignity and treating others with kindliness. And that same honor that you expect for yourself. Because you are a father, you're a figure of authority. You should be mindful of how you sit, of how you walk, of how you address other people, of what kind of words do you use. You should be worthy of respect. You're not a teenager anymore. All of your demeanor must be dignified. All of your demeanor, from your words to your thoughts, must be respectful and mature. I dismay whenever I encounter a 30, 40-year-old man that has worse manners than a teenager would. Think of yourself, Father, always as a role model, and as such, you must be exquisite in your demeanor. Considerate, polite, well-dressed, well-spoken, well-behaved in every little detail. I must end this sermon, my dear friends, but I would like to finish by giving you this consideration. You, as a father, you are the first figure, the first painting, the first image that your children have of God. You are the first image of God that your children see. When your children grow up, if you were a good father, they will be able to see God and understand Him because they will have seen an image of God in you. But if you were a bad father, they will forever be lacking on that and they will struggle to come to know God as a father because they never knew a good one. You are the image of the Father in heaven. You are his messenger. You are his representative. You are his vicar at your home. Let it be then that you are a faithful image of God and that being the shepherd of your family, you become the exact copy of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.